Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios, this week on Broadway for Sunday, June 14th, 2020. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at filespotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So here we are on Sunday morning, the 14th, and on Saturday evening on the 13th, uh, the Drama Desk Awards were announced. Um, once delayed, twice delayed, uh, I, I'm unsure of the count, but it did happen, the 65th Annual Drama Desk Awards. And uh, I just wanted to run through some of the winners here. It was a very interesting uh, mix, and I'm not sure uh, I'd like to hear from Michael and Peter if any, any uh, Anything interesting, surprising, or anything happened there? So in the Outstanding Play, we have The Inheritance by Matthew Lopez. Outstanding Musical, we have A Strange Loop, um, Playwrights Horizons and Page 73 Productions, which is interesting that they didn't attribute that to the author, but rather the producers. Outstanding Revival of a Play, we have A Soldier's Play, uh, Outstanding Revival of a Musical, Little Shop of Horrors, Outstanding Actor in a Play, uh, Edmund Donovan for Greater Clements, Outstanding Actress, uh, Liza Colenzayas for Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven, Outstanding Actor in a Musical, Larry Owens, A Strange Loop, Outstanding Actress in a Musical, Adrian Warren, Tina, The Tina Turner Musical, Outstanding Feature Actor in a Play, Paul Hilton in The Inheritance, Outstanding Featured Actress in a Play, Lois Smith in The Inheritance, and... Uh, Outstanding Featured Actor in a Musical, Christian Borle for Little Shop. Outstanding Featured Actress in a Musical, Lauren Patton for Jagged Little Pill. Outstanding Direction, Stephen Daltrey in The Inheritance for a Play. Outstanding Director for a Musical, Stephen Brackett, A Strange Loop. So what do you think about these uh, these awards? Uh, did they line up with your votes? You Both, both of you are voters. In fact, I'm one of the uh, seven nominators. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, of course, we all have to wonder what would have happened uh, had the season continued. But um, as usual, what happens here with the Drama Desk Awards is that so many times the, the um, show from Broadway beats the show from off-Broadway. This year, that didn't happen as often because none of the nominated musicals were Broadway shows because, of course, the big Broadway musicals were going to open in uh, late March and, and April. So um, you do have uh, shows like A Strange Loop and Little Shop of Horrors um, sneaking through there. Um, outstanding actress in a play, Lisa Colon Zayas, Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven. Um, that was a phenomenal performance. She was um, <clears throat> and. Um, uh, an army sergeant uh, who uh, came out of the uh, military and, you know, you expect these people to be really tough. And she has two chances in the show to show that she really has a very nice and sincere uh, side. And this was a great performance. And so we can say, oh, isn't it wonderful that somebody from off-Broadway won? However, all of them were nominated from um, off-Broadway. So, um, so, but you know, the thing is, um, this is something that's a problem because so many press agents can't allow all the drama desk voters to get into some of these shows because the theaters are too small. And so that's why that, that I, I think this is more of a theory of mine than a, a, a fact, but given the fact that almost every year the Broadway shows, um, tend to win, well, I think that's the reason why. So um, I don't know what's going to happen in the future I don't, <laughs> in more ways than one. But um, but I do believe that um, these are worthy. Uh, none of these um, struck me as, oh, my God, uh, how could this happen? Um, 
with the possible exception of Strange Loop, which, of course, won a Pulitzer Prize, I just felt bad because, um, as I mentioned before, Michael R. Jackson, who was immensely talented, and I saw the show in a workshop and was very impressed by his writing, his music, a very skillful writer. But um, uh, it, it really was a show that indicated that um, – he um, has a self-respect problem, and I'm hoping that the nice reception of this show and the Pulitzer Prize will help him to um, gain some self-respect that doesn't seem to be in a strange loop. Michael, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, as Peter mentioned, the, I, I suppose in a way all of these um, winners and nominees will, will always have to have an asterisk next to them because of the extraordinary situation with the COVID crisis. But that does not mean that they are not worthy. I, I think there's a tremendous amount of worthy work here. I am very, very sorry that I did not see A Strange Loop because I had have been hearing about it ever since. <laughs> um, and it sounds like it was really extraordinary. So uh, as re reflected in these awards and, and just other um, comments and reviews and uh, words from friends that I've heard. So that, that is unfortunate. I, um, yeah, it's, uh, this is the year for off, for off Broadway um, in drama desk. And I guess, uh, it took, uh, you know, it was partly because of logistics of what happened. I don't uh, completely agree with Peter on the reason why normally the preponderance of winners in the drama desk is Broadway. I think it's more that uh, there are so many shows. And uh, as far as I know, for example, all uh, just about every drama desk voter I know of is uh, – you know, as a person who has some kind of day job in some other non-theatrical area where, where I don't know if there's anyone who's a dedicated um, theater reviewer working for a, a big publication like equivalent to the New York Times or anything like that. And so uh, people have to juggle their lives and they can't see everything. And so I guess there's an, a, a natural tendency to um, to lean towards the Broadway shows uh, rather than the off-Broadway and also because there were so many uh, if you if you count all of the off and off-Broadway shows. So I've always thought that that was unfair for that reason and actually I, I had spoken with the Drama Desk a couple of times on ways to possibly address that uh, but it's just very, very difficult. And so um, they didn't agree with my solution, which was to have to go to separate car categories for Broadway and off-Broadway. Um, and I understand why that, that would be difficult, because that would mean that they'd have a tremendous amount of nominees uh, and therefore a tremendous amount of awards. But so I, I, to me, that's just an issue that's inherent in, in the drama desk at, attempting to honor Broadway and off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway together in one award. Um, but that's, that, that, that's just the way it is. And, and uh, people who are aware of it, accept, you know, or, or not, or, you know, the, they're aware that that of, of what the criteria are and that's what they are. So, um, but because of the Broadway season, uh, always being backloaded, if that's the right word to a, to a large degree in terms of a lot of big shows opening in the spring, especially musicals, we do have something like, uh, 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 that, that accounts for a lot of the off-Broadway winners here. I was very, very happy about Edmund Donovan ring, winning for Greater Clements. I had you heard, bet. I had you loved bet. him. I know Peter loved him. Everyone I, uh, I've spoken to thought it was an extraordinary performance. And he um, should be very proud because, uh, I mean, there are people perhaps that, you know, that he would have been up against who he, he was not because those shows never opened, but the ones he, he, uh, that, that, in, that he did compete against, I hate to use that word, but um, are Charles Bush for the confession of Lily Dare, Raul Esparza in Seared, which is another 
amazing performance that I everyone agree. was talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, Francis Jew, Camb- Cambodian rock band, mm-hmm. Trini Sandoval, 72 Miles to Go, and Kyle Soler, The Inheritance. So that was an incredibly strong field that Edmund Donovan can and should be, I hope, very, very proud um, to have been awarded in that category. Uh, what else um, do I... Uh, it's nice that... Um, uh, to see Adrian Warren winning, of course, and um, Christian Borel was one of the most hilarious performances I've ever seen in my life in Little Shop of Horrors. So that made me very happy. But again, very strong competition. Georgia Boot in Emoji Land, Jay Armstrong Johnson in Scotland, PA. Um, that was a breakout performance as well, I think. Uh, Conrad Ricamora, Soft Power, and Ryan Vasquez, The Wrong Man. Uh, so, yeah, um, strange year for the drama desks along with every hmm. every other organization, every other situation. Op- situation, <laughs> really, yeah. Um, and, I, and as I said, you know, people are making different decisions as to uh, whether to go on with their awards or table them to whenever. And I, uh, and people seem to have strong feelings on both sides, but I would not criticize any decision because I think the situation is just so extraordinary and so disruptive that, um, I can't be angry with anyone for choosing to go on with it now, even though so many shows didn't open or choosing to wait and therefore not honoring uh, any shows for a while and not knowing when they will be able to do that. So um, that's my feeling. And I I hope uh, people will, will not be too critical of any of these organizations for making whatever decisions they make. Well, frankly, the Theatre World Awards, um, I'm uh, one of the nominators, uh, we're holding off in announcing who the winners are because we're hoping to do the ceremony whenever things come back. And um, who knows when that will be? And uh, that's in abeyance. Uh, We have chosen our 12 winners, but um, we're keeping them close to the vest at the moment because we, we are hoping to have that ceremony. So we shall see what we shall see. Well, good luck with that. that Indeed. That would be wonderful. <laughs> Indeed, be good wonderful. luck with that. Yeah. So a quick overview of the Drama Desk, uh, the awards by productions. They have A Strange Loop has five. The Inheritance has five. Moulin Rouge has five. Little Shop, two. Tina, two. A Soldier's Play, two. Jagged Little Pill, two. Grady Clements, one. Halfway Stitches Go Straight to Heaven, one. Octet, one. So uh, certainly a, a big mix there. But not yeah, nicely spread around. Uh, but not the huge financial successes. I, you know, Moulin Rouge is tied with uh, mm. with uh, projects, uh, productions that were yeah, a tenth or less of the price. <laughs> yes. uh, to, oh, yeah, to open to open yeah, that much thing. less. So, yeah. yeah, very interesting. Oh, and we should mention, we should not forget to mention that this was um, the first year of the Harold Prince Award, mm-hmm. a new award, a new Lifetime Achievement Award, and the first one was presented posthumously to Mr. Prince, one of the greatest figures in theater history. Mm-hmm. be interesting to see uh, who wins in the future. Uh, Octet got an ensemble award, which is mm-hmm. nice, very interesting. Uh uh, the Actors Fund, Seth Rudeski and James Wesley also won an award, a, a special recognition of all the things that they're doing. The Public Theater's mobile unit, uh, the WP Theater and Julia Miles uh, and Claire Warden also mm-hmm. uh, took awards. It, I think that this – I'm really proud of the Drama Desk to pull this together, and I'm sure. still incredibly shocked at the deafening silence from the Tony Awards. Uh you know, what were, it was. It sounded like Michael. You were about to say something, were you? Well, I, I guess I just repeat what I. I, I just don't know what they would say mm. exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, because... you know, the uh, drama desk found something to say. I mean, I, I would expect it would be something similar, and certainly they've released, you know, statements saying that you know kind of like we're aware of the situation and we're going to do something eventually but it 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 still is a, a tremendous it, it seems like they're paralyzed without 
leadership and and unable to act. I mean, they they did release the video of the in memoriam, which mm. is very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but certainly they they've not let anybody uh, outside of their enclosed circle know what is happening. Uh, you know, with things moving forward, and even if they would just you know, the the worst the worst decision is no decision, and it seems mm. like there's no public decision. Certainly, it might be a private decision. Well, but I mean, it, not to belabor it, but the the drama desk. I I do understand what you mean, and I guess they could say something. But the drama desk was able to make a statement because they decided to do it, since the Tonys don't know when. Uh, they will do it. Um, I guess they could just maybe give updates on, yeah, what they uh, what they're thinking. Uh, but I, I suppose it's because the the uh, you know the phases of reopening in New York uh, have have been proceeding quite slowly. Uh, some some good news in in recent recent days and weeks. Uh, um, maybe that will spur um, some f- kind of kind of announcement from the Tony administration. <laughs> so uh, one of the winners in the drama desk was Lauren Patton, uh, and from Jagged Little Pill. And uh, did both of you get a chance to see Jagged? I think you both uh-huh. did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she she had uh, she had quite a statement in the middle of the show, didn't she? Now, um, uh, you, when she sang, you ought to know. Mm-hmm. Um, would you consider you ought to know a showstopper? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, showstopper, of course, is a, a a term that's relative in a certain sense. Um, I may have mentioned this, but I remember Cy Fewer telling me about Gwen Verdon and Can Can, and he said, and she really stopped the show. And the look on his face was so sincere the way he said it. He says, I know people say that people stop the show. But I mean, this really did stop the show because she was off stage and the people were still applauding and they wouldn't stop. And we had to bring her back out. And that's really stopping a show. Now, I've seen that happen once, once and only once. And um, in doing my season tally, um, which I did on June 1st, I found out that now I am 27 shows short from 12,000 stage productions that I have seen and I've only seen it happen once. Now, granted in plays, it doesn't happen. And many, most of the things I've seen are plays, but still I've seen plenty of musicals. And the only time I've ever seen it happen is when Debbie Shapiro, now Debbie Gravitt, Debbie Shapiro on the first preview of perfectly Frank, a review of Frank Lesser songs came out and sang junk man and uh, then went behind the curtain. Uh, there was a curtain that, it was an in one for the next scene and we just wouldn't stop applauding. And she actually had to come back and take a bow. That's the only time I've ever seen a real showstopper in the real sense of the word. But what of course the term has come to mean is tremendous applause and um, that uh, it goes on forever. Or as I've mentioned before, my favorite type of applause where people applaud, it reaches a peak, it starts subsiding and people think, no, we haven't given it enough applause and they actually applaud harder than they did at that first peak. Uh, and it takes a while. Um, however, if I had to say the closest thing I've seen to um, the Debbie Shapiro moment was when I saw the tryout of dream girls in Boston, because this was the first time I ever saw an audience stand during a number. And I, I think, you know, I'm not talking about, uh, we're a family. Um, we're talking of course about, and I am telling you, I am not going hmm. now in a way <laughs> you can't call it a showstopper because it didn't stop the show because she was still singing, but still to get that Titanic reaction, which I've only seen, I think, um, when, uh, John Lloyd young did can't take my eyes off of oh, you yeah. in Jersey boys. He, uh, they stood at the performance I attended during the number. Uh, and those have to be extraordinary situations. And so I will mention those two first as being showstoppers that really didn't stop the show, but <laughs> the applause and the reaction certainly qualifies them in that strange way. Michael, what are some of your favorite showstoppers? Well, we actually discussed, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not going a, a week or so ago, uh, and I'm glad it came up again because I, I, I did want to say I, that's a very fascinating situation because uh, from from what we've all read, 
Michael Bennett specifically designed that moment so that when Jennifer Holiday got to the end of the number, uh, it went immediately mm. into the uh, the Dreamettes coming on stage and singing a very brief. Um, w- was it a reprise of Dreamgirls? No, no, I don't think so. I, uh, wasn't the song something like "Moving On," "Moving Out," something like that? It had a title like that. But yes, uh, what really registered was um, the fact that you were seeing the, the new group uh, with the um, Fe White replacement, and so it, it, it's not surprising that neither of us can remember the song and what it's called because uh, the moment was so startling. And of course, as you say, it was a, just a snippet before right. the curtain came down. So uh, it was the power of the moment that we really remember rather than the song itself. Yeah, maybe it was that move right I'm um, stepping on your heart. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's immaterial because it, it really right. was brilliant on Michael Bennett's part because he wanted it to comment on the fact that this woman's career was being wiped away. Uh, but, you know, so and then absolutely did that. But then on another level, as Peter says, people were responding incredibly uh, to the performance to the point where uh, there was response while she was still singing and hadn't even finished yet. Uh, and then, as I recall, what happened was when when Jennifer Holiday did come to the end of the song, people went nuts and started cheering and cheered all through that that brief right. snippet of whatever song that is that the uh, that the Dreamettes came out and sang, so it was an an unbelievable, uh, I would say unique, uh, probably never to be replicated moment of so many levels of what was going on there um, in the in in the audience responding to this woman who who had just been thrown out of the group, uh, you know, the character, and then also responding to Jennifer Holiday herself as as an amazing performer, and then responding to what was happening in the, you know, in the plot with <laughs> with her being replaced uh, by someone else. And now she's no longer a part of this group that's going to go on to to become world famous. So that was an, an unforgettable moment. Um, it's uh, to, there's no v- video of a, well, there's no commercial video of a stage production of dream girls. Is there? No. Yeah. That, that is a loss because that's something that, I, I mean, hopefully it's maybe there's an archival video at, um, well, at least we have that sequence from the Tonys and I'm sure it's on YouTube. Um, a friend of mine was working one day. He was called into the office, uh, his superior's office, who said, you're fired. And he went out and uh, somebody was sitting at his desk. He said, I felt like Effie White. You know, yeah. there was my replacement right then and there. You know, I mean, so, um, yeah, some showstoppers come early in the evening. And um, certainly Bill Coleman uh, in the original production of Cabaret, uh, which was a great surprise because nobody knew who Joel Gray was at that point. And um, nobody knew who. Ronald Field was who choreographed at that point and Cabaret had no pedigree to speak of. Um, yes, it was produced by Harold Prince, but it was being directed by Harold Prince and he had had four failures. So expectations weren't high. And the two guys had written floor of the red menace, which has a very strange score in many respects. And, um, but boy, um, the, the two times I saw it in Boston when it was trying out, that audience was quite enthusiastic. So it's really wonderful when you can get an audience on your side that quickly. And certainly Cabaret did. Hmm. Michael, what's some of your others? Yeah, well, placement is so interesting in itself. Of course, a lot of uh, songs that would be showstoppers, uh, a lot of them are placed at the very are placed at the very end of Act One, uh, and uh, purposely so. And then a a lot of lot of others are placed at the ends of scenes. I think um, uh, sometimes I think maybe. especially in more integrated musicals like the Rodgers and Hammerstein, I think maybe they almost wouldn't want uh, a show to be literally stopped because they want to maintain forward momentum of, uh, of the show and the narrative. And, and actually um, offhand, uh, well, I mean, I, of course I don't know. I didn't pretend every performance of every Rodgers and Hammerstein show, but the one that, um, 
that is written about uh, most often, I think, as being an actual showstopper was the title song of Oklahoma, which, of course, went into that show very late. And then they wound up with this incredible showstopper. And that was all about the audience's uh, emotional involvement in the story. And it was uh, also it was, you know, it was during World War Two. And, and uh, so it was about <laughs> love for this country and responding to the characters and all of that. But um yeah, uh, you know, end of act one showstoppers. There are probably so many. Anything goes leaps to mind. <laughs> uh, you know, if that wasn't at the very end of act one, I'm sure it would stop the show. Uh, but it is. And uh, we, we mentioned this, the special case in, of, and I'm telling you, I'm not going. Um, everything's coming up roses. <laughs> uh, kind of hard to, to hard to tell that. if it stopped the show because, of course, the show stopped itself. You know, it was the end of Act One. <laughs> right, um, right. But I will I mean. say this: even though I never saw an original production of a um, a Rogers and Hammerstein show, they were before my time, um, my theater going time. Uh, the fact remains that I was um, in attendance at the revival of Carousel. Um, and, um, certainly the ovation that John Raitt got uh, in that Lincoln Center revival back in 1965, mm. six, somewhere on there, uh, certainly qualifies as a show-stopping moment. Um, because, and it must've been amazing way back when in 45, when that was first heard because good Lord, um, you know, who expected anything of that heft, um, and length from Billy Bigelow and, um, and he, all the emotions are there. I'm, uh, I still think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in musical theater. And, um, so it, it <laughs> uh, the touring company I saw in Boston in 66, um, really did, uh, quite tear down the house. The, um, uh, I had just made a fabulous discovery on YouTube that uh, that certainly applies to our discussion. Uh, I had found a, a poor, a fairly poor uh, quality video and audio copy of Lena Horne, the Lady and Her Music. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, from 1981, and I thought, well, it's better than nothing. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I had actually taped it <laughs> you know i think it was vhs uh myself uh years ago when I, and, and, and i had that somewhere but that was even poorer copies so then i found this one on youtube but now i just this morning happened to look again and there was another one that's far better um really wonderful video and audio quality it, it's, it sounds like it's even in stereo so i have sent um the link to james for for our listeners, I, I think that's something that you will be amazed if you experience it. It was it was a thrilling, thrilling show. Uh, I saw it twice live, and both shows were thrilling. But that um, was an incredible situation where I would say there were, were probably more than several. There were several showstoppers, but uh, specifically. Um, such a well-constructed show. It was set up so that uh, somewhere in Act One, Miss um, Horn sang Stormy Weather. Uh, and so passionately and so brilliantly that you thought, oh my God, this is... Uh, this will never be topped. And then, <laughs> and then um, she, you know, deliberately and specifically topped it in Act two with an even more searing and passionate rendition of it uh that was a extraordinary situation and an unbelievable experience and i'm so happy it is preserved in this video i've heard many people over the years um uh kind of criticize this video as uh it, it is edited somewhat um for one thing, but also people go on and uh, on about how it doesn't capture the the feeling of the live performance, and of course it doesn't, uh, largely because one is not in the middle of a live audience. Uh, but uh, it's still, I I think it's it's very well done in terms of the camera work, and I and I was looking at some of it just 
earlier today and, and yesterday, uh, there are quite a few shots of the audience response, and everyone is—it's <laughs> a rapturous response, as you, as you can imagine—and and 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 a very 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 wonderfully diverse audience, I might add. So that was a show that I'll never forget. Um, I think it's. Uh, the song stack is is wonderful. Oh, and one thing interesting about it is that it's not exactly the same uh, program as you will hear if you get the CD, the two CD live recording of the show. Uh, for example, um, in the video, this video that I'm talking about, I think her third or fourth number is the Gershwin song, but not for me. Uh, and that's not on the 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 cast album on on cd it's another song i forget what it is um so there are minor differences there and i guess therefore if you're a completist you'd want to have both and now at least for the time being um you can have both because this extraordinary unbelievable performance is on youtube in very very excellent quality i just hope it stays there um you know, forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Of course, the pros who write these shows believe they know when they have show stoppers. Mm -hmm. For example, in Call Me Madam, um, the You're Not Sick, You're Just In Love sequence, um, I Wonder Why, uh, the contrapuntal thing by Irving Berlin, um, it was written late, but they knew they had a show stopper. And of course, they built in an encore. However, I wonder how reluctant Irving Berlin was to write in an encore because uh, a couple of years earlier, Miss Liberty, his same, um, his musical uh, about the building of the Statue of Liberty, there's a song called Homework and there's a built-in encore. Now, at Mufti, when they did it um, not long ago, the song Homework got nice applause. Yes, that was a song. We know at the end of a song you applaud. And then the actress, a very talented young woman, um, came out to do the encore, and we were astonished that they really felt that this song deserved an encore. I have no idea what happened back in 1949 when Miss Liberty opened, but uh, I wonder if the same thing happened. They expected a showstopper, and it didn't happen. And by the way, James, given that Miss Liberty and Call Me Madam were part of the trivia question last week, would this be a good time to go into that? Peter, I have a special treat for you. What? Tony Janicki's with us. Is he really? <laughs> he is. He is. Well, Tony is hanging out here. So I'm assuming that moments after you ask the question that you're about to ask, we're going to get an email. We're going uh-huh. to we're going to see, see in real time. Let's see. Let's see in real time. So Peter, why don't you give us an answer to <laughs> last week's trivia? What do the musicals Miss Liberty, Call Me Madam, Wish You Were Here? Damn Yankees, Peter Pan, The Music Man, and Mr. President all have in common. Well, Tony stated that the seven musicals went mentioned one or more actual real-life persons. Yes, I said, although I told him that wasn't what I was thinking of. So <laughs> then he said, well, at least one song in each of the musicals mentions a location that figures somehow in the show story. Yeah, yeah, I told him. Um, you're right, absolutely. Um, but that wasn't what I was thinking of. So then he said, uh, all those shows had some element of fantasy. Yes, I said, um, although uh, that wasn't what I was thinking of. Still, three right answers count. For he's under no obligation to guess what's specifically on my mind. Although Steve Bell knew, he was the first at 11.12 a.m. while we were still broadcasting to give the answer, followed by Richard Carey, who said, good one, and bring a dude. And what was the answer I had in mind? Those shows all had stage technicians who won the Tony Award for Best Stage Technician, a prize that was given from 1949 to 1963 after which it was retired. Okay, this week's question. I mentioned last week that the 1959-60 Tonys didn't open with a musical theater song. There was no Merman doing Everything's Coming Up Roses or Mary Martin leading the one trap kids in Do Re Mi. But of all songs, it started with The Star-Spangled Banner. And yet, in that decade that had just begun, the 60s, Francis Scott Key's first five words from The Star-Spangled Banner would be heard in a 1962 Broadway musical, a 1968 one, as well as a 1969 one. What are the three musicals and the three songs? 
Okay, so if you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So we're really excited that, uh, you know, not only Tony is with us, but lots of our other listeners are also with us, including um, Steve Bell, who got the answer right away last week. Uh, and I should also say that Steve Bell is not only a longtime friend of all of us, but was my musical director on Sweeney Todd when I played oh. Anthony. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, uh, look at that. Well, that's well, nice to know. Yeah. So um, if you want to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time in the New York uh, time zone um, to listen in like all uh, the, the other folks are doing here, uh, get over to broadwayradio.com's uh, slash Patreon or Patreon.com slash Broadway Radio and you can join us in, in the uh, chat room here and listen as we are recording live. So what other types of um, showstoppers should we talk about? Well, I'm going to mention one and um, and I just talked about encores and this is a number that got two encores in a very different way. And I'm talking about Inner City and Inner City, a marvelous underrated musical about life in New York City in the uh, early 70s when things were a little tough. And yet those of us who lived here still wanted to be here. So um, you had a song from a prostitute. The song is actually called The Hooker. And in her song, she points out that um, all of us sell ourselves in many different ways. We work at jobs that we don't care about, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a phenomenal song, phenomenal. And in a way, it had encores because what happened a little later is you got the same melody and the same concept. You do it your way. I'll do it mine. And that's fine which was the real tagline of the song from um, a drug dealer um, as well as a pickpocket. Now uh, only the drug dealer song is on the album, which is really too bad because the pickpocket song was um, very funny too. And um, all three of them got tremendous response. And it was so great when the second one happened because we thought, Oh, we're getting to hear the song again. And yet we're not hearing it as a, a specific reprise because we're getting all new lyrics. And we were thrilled to have that happen. And, um, and then the third time was another bonus. We didn't see that coming. So um, I really recommend getting the album to inner city and uh, it's still available. And I really think it's a terrific score. And I'm very sorry it didn't last. It, it lasted three months. And yet, it, that was enough time for uh, Linda Hopkins to get a Tony Award as Best Featured Actress in a Musical. Uh, she didn't do any of these three songs I'm talking about, but her song Deep in the Night uh, was a showstopper in that show, too. Michael, how about uh, you were about to say something? You were. Well, well, I was about to say something else, but speaking of hooker songs that stopped the show, <laughs> there was The Oldest Profession from Life, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. which stopped the show when I saw it originally when Lilius White did it, and then it stopped the show the second time I saw the show with Sharon Wilkins in for Miss White, and that it was an amazing number with a incredible lyric by Ira Gassman and music by Cy Coleman. Uh, just really, really superb character work. And, and also actually kind of extraordinary when you think about it, because we're just, we've just met that character, <laughs> mm. uh, I believe at that point. Uh, mm. that, that is really something to write a show-stopping number for a character we've just met. That is talent. And then uh, not to mention the talent of the people putting it across. Um, so many, uh, so many wonderful show-stopping numbers of all different types. Uh, I can't do it alone from Chicago mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, was certainly a showstopper when I saw it originally with Cheetah Rivera, and uh, I think um, maybe the only showstopper in in that show uh because of partly because of placement as peters said placement is so important and uh also i guess maybe the only uh solo huge song and dance number uh and uh, of course the irony there is that she she says uh you know i can't do it alone but she does do it alone um which uh Mm -hmm. was very intentional i think um 
Lots of lots of um, songs that are showstoppers in certain contexts. Uh, Beautiful Girls in the New York Philharmonic production of Follies, I would say. Um, and uh, oh, here was one. Um, there was an incredible uh, concert of uh, um, once on this island. Um, for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS in 1982. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. In 2002. Uh, it was, uh, uh, so that was in the wake of 9-11. And La Chance was recreating her original role. And of course, her husband had died in the World Trade Center. And I, I mean, I always thought that that song was uh, a brilliant piece to begin with because it's so beautifully constructed. It's about, you know, uh, it's sung by Timoon, this girl who um, is uh, rescued from a tree during a terrible storm by this couple who then adopt her. And, you know, as a, as a very young girl, and then, um, then, then she quickly grows up and now we see her coming of age and she's really, really ready to start her life. Uh, and she sees this fellow drive by in a car and, and he's very handsome. So she responds to him on that level, but she also responds to the fact that he's in a car and he's going somewhere and she wants to, um, you know, begin her life experiences. So it's a beautiful, exciting, thrilling song about, about that, about all that. Uh, and then on, on top of that, uh, there, there was this, incredible emotional level of responding to La Chance, uh, you know, returning to the stage after that tragedy of her husband being killed in, in 9-11. So I, as I recall, um, the show really did stop for um, maybe, well, you know, for, for a considerable time uh, while she was acknowledged uh, with, with applause and cheers after that number. And that's something I'll never forget. You know, um, so many times we um, stop the show because we know the song when we walk in the show. And mm. uh, that even happened in Boston when um, Angela Lansbury playing Mame sang If You Walked Into My Life because Edie Gourmet had a phenomenal recording of it already out. And so mm. many of us knew the song, uh, which is proved by the fact that it, during the overture, the night I saw it, this is a pre-Broadway tryout, understand. When If You Walked Into My Life came in in the overture, people applauded because they recognized the song. But my point is, Mame is considered this very uh, eccentric, happy-go-lucky, um, never-say-die type of person. And here, if, if He Walked Into My Life, she shows a vulnerable side, a very human side. I remember Jerry Herman saying to me, it drove me crazy that I had never written a song that I really thought was classy. And this is the first one I did that I thought was classy. And it is. But also this element of surprise that we didn't necessarily expect Mame to have a song of this depth of feeling made it uh, very, very powerful. And by that point in the show, of course, and most of us went in there not knowing that Angela Lansbury could do a musical. And oh, she could. Um, and under those circumstances, what was equally interesting was uh, when she did Sweeney Todd. And I remember her entrance applauded when she came in. This was a preview. And um, she's about to sing The Worst Pies in London. And it lived up to our expectations tremendously, which was really quite wonderful. So those are two that uh, she's responsible for. And to a slightly lesser degree, but one I want to mention because it really was quite an achievement, um, I really uh, don't want to know um, from Dear World uh, tore down the house during the Boston tryout as well. So we have uh, some suggestions from our listeners in the, uh, in the chat room here. Rob Johnson suggested uh, from Something Rotten, uh, a musical. A musical, yep. I was going to mention that. Uh, yep. tore, mm -hmm. tore the house down for four mm -hmm. minutes, uh, Rob. I, I consider that one of the ten greatest um, numbers I've seen. Uh, I'm sorry, which song? A musical. A musical. Ah. 
Very, very smart idea, because what you have here is Nostradamus, not the Nostradamus, but a distant relative <laughs> who isn't good at his job, who has trouble getting looking into the future. You can only get snippets. And that's so it's a reason why you only hear snippets of musicals in the song. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I agree. I mean, how many years ago is that? And I remember it like yesterday. And I'm hysterical Me too. Thinking about it. I saw it five times. Oh, it was just so, so brilliant and funny. And, and of course, pandering because, you know, the, the folks who are getting this are, in, you know, Broadway fans and I shouldn't say insiders, but people who know Broadway canon. So, um, mm. I, I mean, that, that's just a formula for success. It's just brilliant. The, mm -hmm. uh, the, the brothers that, that wrote that are just Yes, they they totally grasped that. Steve Steve Bell mentioned uh, he he questioned maybe um, uh, you know does this count because it's the opening of a show in Lion King Circle of Life? I mean when uh -huh. I would say yes, uh -huh. you know, also we, on my list of greatest opening numbers. Yeah, yeah I mean just uh, you know I, I remember seeing that uh i think a couple of days before opening night mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. uh, at the new amsterdam and mm -hmm. just sure the electricity in the mm -hmm. audience cuz we all wanted to see what how this was going to translate from the screen to the stage and it and it really really did it uh, unfortunately for me it was all downhill after that so. Well, <laughs> it, it, the show never hits that peak again. Yeah. There's no question about that. And it, it would Although be very he's hard in to you, I, I really loved he's in you, which is uh, something new that was added in the second act. That's not in the movie when they um, recreate uh, Mufasa's uh, face in the stars. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I thought that that was really, really good. But the rest of the show, I thought was it was unfortunate. But mm -hmm. um, I. I amazing amazing opening number so um and uh also suggestion about uh andrea martin and pippin yes uh, ah and irene ryan and pippin way back in 72 yeah. yeah oh boy that's a very good one um and i'm sorry i didn't think of we're talking about no time at all um which uh <laughs> well it was one of those numbers where i couldn't wait uh to applaud um, that uh, you knew immediately that you were going to give this titanic applause. And that brings up, um, to me at least, an old-fashioned love song um, uh, from the off-Broadway Wild Party by Andrew Lippa yeah. uh, that Alex Corey delivered a song uh, about her um, lesbian lust that 14 seconds in, I knew that I was going to go crazy for this song, and I certainly did. And um, it, this is one I highly recommend. If you don't know The Wild Party, and I'm talking about the one um, from Masterworks Broadway, that is something you really must hear. Alex Corey, who has a unique instrument to begin with, um, really <laughs> makes it sound so great, but it's a great song to begin with. It's a very smart idea and, um, and very, very funny and powerful and everything else you could ever ask for in a showstopper. Um, I uh, was thinking about um, Lion King and the uh, circle of life and that whole thing, and I, and then I drifted across the street to the the was it the Ford's Theater at the time or oh, who knows <laughs> uh, I can't remember. I, but I will not be responsible for the naming of that theater, um, knowing <laughs> what it is. Um, Ford Center for the Performing Arts was it whatever that, it is. The, point, the other or? ones I can deal with, you know. I mean, yes, you know, I I know the Plymouth Schoenfeld, um, et cetera, et cetera. But that one's changed its name too many times for me to keep track of it. But the opening number of Ragtime. Oh, sure. It's just, uh, oh, yes. yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I also want to mention, um, of course, so many of them are 11 o'clock numbers and right. Home Sweet Heaven, uh, done by Tammy Grimes, um, got one of the biggest reactions I've ever seen during the Boston tryout. Uh, this is from High Spirits. Um, you, Martin, Timothy Gray, great, great song. And what's really wonderful about this song, it's where uh, Tammy Grimes decides to go back home. She's a, she's a ghost, and she decides she's going to go back home because there are so many interesting people there. Um, the Duke of Prussia, uh, um, uh, Robin Hood. Um, she mentions all these people from the past. And what's really great about it, if you look at Blythe Spirit, 
the source material, the Noel Coward play, there's just an offhand mention mm-hmm. in the first act that uh, she mentions Genghis Khan out of the blue. And it's a very funny joke, and it does get a laugh, but it was very smart of you, Martin and Timothy Gray, to say, wait, we can make that a song and wouldn't be a great one uh-huh. when she talks about going back. And so really, it really shows that you really have to pay attention to everything in the thing you're adapting because you don't know where it's going to come from, which brings up another showstopper, and that's Bosom Buddies from Mame. And uh, a great song. And uh, more to the point, the line about somewhere between 40 and death is a stage direction in mm-hmm. Auntie Mame. And Jerry Herman saw it and said, oh, what a great idea for a lyric. And it was. I mean, that line always uh, gets a wonderful response. And uh, so Bosom Buddies goes on my list of great showstoppers as well. (laughs) One of the legendary ones that we should not fail to mention is The Rain in Spain and My Fair Lady. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Apparently, especially on opening night on Broadway, because uh, I read about it. And uh, it is said that the the show started and it, it was not... It was not bombing by any means, but for some reason, it didn't seem like the audience was completely with it uh, for a while. It, it took um, a while for them to get into it. You know, maybe it was nerves, the, the incredible um, heightened aspect of the occasion, whatever, whatever. Uh, but then they got to um, the rain in Spain. And imagine you know, these classic songs, classic songs that have been written f- for the musical theater. It's hard for us to, unless we, unless uh, we, we were there, um, mm-hmm. to imagine what it was like for people to experience them for the first time. But just try to imagine that. I mean, here is, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it happens quite a ways into the show. Uh, we've seen Eliza. Uh, she really wants to better herself. She wants to learn to speak properly so that she can have a better life. And uh, Higgins agrees, but you know, he his method for doing this is browbeating her and just <laughs> really treating her very, very badly and being incredibly strict with her. And uh, and so then she finally has a moment where she says she can't do it anymore. And uh, he and he s- softens for a moment and gives her an inspirational speech that's really kind of gentle and sweet, and then she suddenly gets it, uh, and they do that an amazing number. Which what genius on the part of Lerner and Lowe to decide to set it to like a a, a Spanish beat, you know, uh, it it just brings it into another stratosphere and, and the joy of the characters is so palpable and they, and they, that so much so that they start dancing and then they collapse, uh, you know, on the couch or on the chair or whatever. And the audience goes absolutely bonkers. Um, and it's even in, I, I would say in any production, uh, you know, it's going to be <laughs> incredible, but, but, um, but on that occasion, it must have just been beyond belief. Well, in fact, um, uh, I recently again came across uh, while reading that Moss Hart, watching that opening night, that March 15th, 1956 performance, actually said um, early in the show, I knew it. I knew it. It's a New Haven hit. That's all it is. It's, it's, <laughs> And, you know, so Michael has a real point here when he said it it, it was certainly acceptable. Nobody was saying it wasn't. Walter Kerr's review also indicates the fact that you thought you were in good hands, but when the rain in Spain happened, then you you were really in great hands. And um, so it does really count. I wasn't there in in 1957, uh, 56, 57, when Barbara Cook was singing Glitter and Be Gay, but I imagine that tour down the house. It certainly did when Maureen Brennan did it in 1974, and uh, anytime I've seen it in a concert, it certainly has uh, done extraordinarily well. So that's um, because really that is such, such uh, a demanding piece of material, needless to say. So uh, that has to be on any list of showstoppers. Tony Janicki is uh, suggesting that we take a left turn for a second, and it possibly could be the basis of a whole other discussion on a, another week. We were uh, Tony suggested uh, Dennis O'Hare's uh, show-stopping speech in "Take Me Out." Mm-hmm. 
So do we have show-stopping speeches that we could talk about in future weeks? So that's something to think about. I thought that's true. And uh, Take Me Out hopefully will uh, yeah. visit us again. Yeah. Uh, we'll have we to see what happens taken with out. Ah, I see. Yeah, chorus line uh, pops into mind. Sure, <laughs> sure. But that's um, a great one. Um, two other, some others that I experienced personally, uh, almost like being in love in the uh, city center. Yeah, fairly uh-huh. recent city center production of Brigadoon with Kelly O'Hara and Patrick Wilson. Because as I've, oh, I think I've discussed before. I mean, it it was. It would have been a showstopper anyway because of their incredible voices and how beautifully they sang it. Also, that song builds um, really in the way of a, of a wonderful showstopper because there's a, ch- uh, a change of key. Uh, it goes up when they start singing together uh, in harmony at the end. And then there's that an amazing high note at the end for her, and he's got the harmony. It's just beautiful. But that production sealed it as a showstopper because as i said the director um christopher wielden uh decided to suddenly bring um the other character in it uh jeff is uh just you know the, the way the show's written he's just standing there uh while these two sing this love song to each other but christopher wielden decided to bring him into it that the the, the the two of them, uh, Patrick and Kelly, kind of held out their hands to, to him, and he joined them, and they clasped hands, and they did a little brief sort of like ring around the rosy thing, and the audience went absolutely bonkers, and that did really stop the show. Um, and another one I mentioned, which was brilliant because it, I guess it kind of stopped the show twice, <laughs> was You Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile in the original oh, Annie. Yeah. Because the number itself is so joyous, and the audience adores seeing these, uh, you know, all of these orphans having the time of their lives, uh, just kind of spoofing this radio show. And it's an incredible number, and it ends, and there's vociferous applause and cheers. And Dorothy Loudon, as Miss Hannigan, comes out and stands <laughs> at the side of the stage and waits and waits until the applause and the screams die down. And she goes, do I hear happiness in here? <laughs> <laughs> and then it was another like two minutes before the show was able to continue. <laughs> Mike, uh, Michael, uh, Tim Sinclair in our chat room wants to know why you haven't mentioned Newsies. Oh, um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> what kind of showstoppers? I mean, Newsies had many showstoppers. Well, uh, but there again, there, there, there's uh, the first one that comes to mind is one that would be a showstopper if it wasn't the end of Act One, and that's Santa Fe. Mm, uh, yeah. But what else? Uh, King of New York? Mm-hmm. You sure, King of New York. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah well, well, you know, so many. Um, there are different, so many different types of showstoppers. Indeed. And I, mm-hmm. and I guess, you know, big song and dance numbers uh, tend to be, and also, uh, and uh, numbers that end on, on huge high notes if it's a solo number. Um, one of the, uh, I, I, it's always wonderful when they're unexpected, which is, is often, I suppose. Uh, do you remember um, Some Girl Is On Your Mind? Mm, absolutely uh, sweet Adeline yeah yeah and the encore's production of sweet Adeline I think um that's a, a beautiful uh, ensemble choral number for the male chorus from uh, sweet Adeline by Jerome Kernan and Oscar all they Adeline do is stand there second all they do is stand there yes yeah, so that that's that's extraordinary because that would be a different type. Of yeah. And uh, along with that, uh, a very similar situation, though not nearly as many people. Um, <clears throat> one more walk around the garden in Carmelina, uh, the same type of thing. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the audience can really relate to uh, what's going on there where, where uh, older men are talking about the fact that they may be able to regain their youth in a, in a manner of speaking. And as a result, um, they're very enthusiastic about doing that. Um, and and yet they're calm in the way they deliver the song. And that one really tore down the house, too. 
um, mostly, as I say, because the audience could really relate to it. That has a lot to do with it, too, of course. If it's a message that the audience wants to hear, right. um, then indeed it's going to be something that um, they're going to um, relate to. And I think that's one of the reasons, not that it isn't a great song. Of course, it's a great song. But could I leave you? Um, I was I, I saw Follies in Boston from uh, the first balcony. And um, I could after that song, um, I noticed that the women in the audience were applauding much harder than the men were <laughs> because they could really relate to uh, what was going on there that uh, they'd all been in the situation where they were wondering could I leave you uh, yes indeed uh, I could and will I uh, well that's another story uh, it's wonderful when a show uh, gets a song late in the preview or out of town run and then turns out to be the show's showstopper. When I saw Pearly back in 1970, the day before it opened, I got love was not in the program, but mm. it certainly was on stage. It certainly was on stage and Melbourne Moore. Whoa. You know, that's a big theater, the Broadway at the time. Um, yeah, at the time it was the biggest one. And um, boy, she filled it. And it was a tremendous achievement seeing uh, I got love being done. So, magnificently and um it, 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 it every time i've seen pearly that's the one that really um people walk away uh thinking of mentioning the broadway theater uh i reflect back to 1991 where the big song and dance number with uh, jonathan price and miss saigon was the american dream, american dream sure mm. you know where mm. um, indeed he mm. sort of uh brought a cadillac into the being <laughs> and then the boobly uh schoenberg uh, connection the the great british invasion also brought us bring him home from les miserables that nikki juvin has brought up to us that certainly has stopped many uh, a production whether it be broadway all the way through community theater and concerts when uh, I, I heard jeremy jordan and michael i think was there weren't you when jeremy sang bring him home acapella yes yeah, at Town Hall uh, last year. Oh, so. yes. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, another song that uh, Peter mentioned uh, that is, is a showstopper, partly because of its message. Uh, and this is, I guess I'll end with this one because of what the message of the song is, is I know where I've been from Hairspray. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's so perfectly placed uh, in a show that's largely... Um, very, very, you know, <laughs> funny and light and exaggerated and big. Um, you have this really, you know, quite wonderful, serious moment. And it's sheer, sheer brilliance, the way it's placed and, and the quality of the song itself. And, you know, the performance that I saw was just wonderful. Um, when I was getting interested as a teenager and didn't quite know how Broadway worked, uh, I assumed the shows that opened in Boston uh, would run forever, just the way shows in New York would. So as a result, um, there's Sail Away trying out in Boston, and okay, I'll get around to it. And then suddenly it's gone. Wait a minute, what happened? And it was explained to me that shows in Boston ran two, three, four weeks, rarely longer. And um, I was devastated that I uh, missed this new musical Sail Away. And it really stung when I talked to Andre Bishop, uh, now the artistic director of the Lincoln Center Theater, who said to me, Elaine Stritch's performance in Sail Away is the best I've ever seen an actress give. Now, that was, I would say, 20, 25 years ago, maybe even longer. And I saw Andre uh, late last year, and I said to him, by the way, you know, since that discussion we had 25 years ago, is she still the greatest performance you've ever seen in the music? She said, absolutely. Well, luckily enough, hmm. uh, she recreated uh, that performance in a very small uh, reading at uh, Carnegie Hall's small little theater. Um, and I was fortunate enough to go. And she was magnificent. And certainly, why do the wrong people travel? One of the great 11 o'clock numbers of all time. Got the response that... Um, certainly qualifies as a showstopper. Better still, I have to say, you know, we've talked about this before, that Elaine Stritch is famous for being acerbic and um, um, uh, what's the euphemism for nasty? Anyway, the point <laughs> is, when she sang, why do the wrong people travel when the right people stay at home? I don't mm. know if she did this in the original, but she gestured to all of us 
when the right people stay at home. And it was just so nice, you know, that it was uh, the song that was actually acerbic uh, and complaining about tourists um, turned out to be a tribute to those of us who were there in the theater that night. It was really quite magical. And, um, and I really uh, think it is one of the great 11 o'clock numbers, along with So Long Deary, which, of course, uh, stops the show all the time, too. And I am told that when it reached Broadway, the Miller's son stopped the show quite a number of times um, when DJ Jamin Bartlett was doing it. But I was at the first preview of Little Night Music when a different performer was playing the part, and boy, did it land with a thud. When I heard that actress was being replaced, I wasn't the slightest bit surprised. Mm. So, um, so I never saw Night Music on Broadway, but I have been told wonderful things about DJ Jamin Bartlett and the Miller's son. Let me wrap up here with uh, one suggestion from me and one suggestion from my friend Steve Bell. Uh, Steve Bell mentioned The Grass is Always Greener, that it oh, was yeah. award for yeah. Matt yes. Cooper. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And yep. had a built-in encore with a great punchline. That's right. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's another one we should add to the list. And um, – I have seen this. Uh, it's funny what Peter just said about sometimes uh, with uh, the Miller's son working and not working. I have seen Pity the Child from Chess work, and I mm-hmm. have seen it be a t- total mm-hmm. disaster. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm. That's also a song that uh, hasn't the, – the placement of that has been changed. Yeah, moved around, yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if you have the London, the American, a hybrid, a further reincarnation of uh, chess, which is always talked about. Uh, We're going to bring it back and try to make it work, but see what happens. (laughs) Mm. It never seems to materialize. So I guess that wraps it up for the week. Before we uh, say goodbye, I'd like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That we each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. Uh, iHeartRadio places, TuneIn places, Stitcher places, Google Play places, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you will be able to find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. And also like to remind everybody that you can sub- you can support broadwayradio.com by going to broadwayradio.com slash Patreon and uh, join us on Sunday mornings to listen to us uh, to listen to us, um, you know, do our thing and create the show, uh, or also make a small donation to keep uh, us going every week. So, on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye bye. Bye. Just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off you Just too good to be true